1: Hello, I'm Scott Sashman.
0: I'm Eben Novi williams and this is The Sportacast.
1: All right, Eben, I'm going to take a risk here. We're going to take a risk together. Some will argue the stay in your lane, but I will argue that this is sports tangential for multiple reasons. And GameStop, I can see if we go, oh, my God, GameStop. But this is the best story of the year. And I consider gaming, you know, sports adjacent, right? Am I okay there with that? Agreed. Okay. And it also involves Mets owner Steve Cohen. So we are, we're in the sports world here. But the story is so insane that I wanted to touch on it. And for those who don't or haven't been following the GameStop, I'm going to try and sum it up succinctly. Oh, so boy. it's a it's a brick and mortar kind of video game store. You can buy different games, uh, handheld uh, cartridges, things like that. Yeah.
0: For, headphones. Yeah, yeah,
1: phones, yeah. okay. That's, so anyway, there are a bunch of I would say institutional uh, hedge funds that were short sellers on GameStop. And if you're not familiar, short selling means you think the stock price of a company is going to go down. You think that it's it's not going to do well. Well, in the face of Melvin Capital and Citron short selling uh, GameStop uh, some folks on Reddit in a stock thread were they pretty much conspired to thwart that effort by telling everybody to buy the stock. let's pump up the stock price and my lord, this is like more than pump up this is a rocket ship it's a at the time of recording it is a straight line up through the roof. And frankly, the institutionals like closed out, losing like down 30%. They lost a ton of money, which is where Steve Cohen comes in, the owner of the Mets. Uh he at point seventy two, he and Citadel infused like three billion dollars into Melvin, um, which was founded by a former point seventy two folk, uh, to prop up Melvin. But Evan, have you ever seen anything like the 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 up and to the right and it does not stop? I mean we've heard that there may be even calls to 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 halt the trading because of it. But I mean it's been halted. It's, it's been insane. halted a,
0: a number of times. Yeah. yeah. By the way, Scott, fantastic job. You know, thank you channeled you. your inner Matt Levine right there. I'm, I'm I, impressed. Thank you very um, much. I said succinctly. So, yeah. I'm not so
1: sure I lived up to the succinctly, but that's pretty much what's going on.
0: I can I can draw kind of a few lines here to the sports world. You certainly mentioned Steve Cohen, you know, his you know, his asset management firm was backing another group that was backing Melvin Capital. I believe Melvin is one of those groups that got out of it. So at least, you know, as we record this now, their their position is closed. They lost a lot of money. That's it. You know, I think for Mets fans who went through the Madoff issue with their previous owners, you know, I could understand there was a little bit of sweating on their part, right? That they saw what happened when an owner of theirs got involved in a financial situation that ended up going really sour. It probably affected the team for 10 years before Steve Cohen came in. So I could see there being some PTSD on behalf of uh, of sports or of Mets fans specifically, there. Okay, but let's
1: let take... be clear here. There's no criminal behavior here. <laughs> no, of course, of okay. course. Okay, let's, yeah, yeah. Let's just, so okay. I'm
0: not trying to make a, a direct direct yeah. line there. To take a step back, you know, there, there's been this huge boom of day trading that's happened during the pandemic. You know, there's been a lot of studies and a lot of writing about whether that is kind of a direct result of the sports world shutting down back in April and May and. And, and June and a lot of sports better saying, Oh, look, I, I need somewhere to get my fix. You know, I don't want to bet on Ukrainian table tennis. So instead I'm going to go to another legal Avenue for which to, uh to, to, to potentially make money and, and to get that fix. So I think, and, and as that, you know, as that retail trading boosted up, they started talking about these trades on Reddit and discord and Robinhood and, and, and less on, you know, the more traditional means. So, you know, I think there's maybe a sports connection there as well.
1: Well, as if it wasn't, interesting enough with what we've already laid out. It's not enough that Elon Musk then tweeted to the Reddit board, like calling even more attention to what was going on. And of course, I mean, up hundreds and hundreds of percents, there have been multiple billionaires made simply on GameStop. And again, Eben, I I, I think I've already mentioned it early on. I do it all the time. We have a focus group of one, my son, and he's on his Xbox and his pals uh, I could see why somebody would shortstop, or short GameStop. It's like, we go there when the controller breaks, and we need a new one. But as for games and all that, it, it, to me, it feels like Blockbuster, and this is the unsolicited stock advice, right? In that you don't need to go and get the video anymore. You just download it. You can just get the game off the Xbox or the console. You don't need the disc anymore.
0: Yeah, I think the most interesting thing about the GameStop story is that this this big rush to buy is almost not entirely, but is largely for some of these people divorced from the true financial underpinnings. Absolutely, has right? nothing it's, to do with. It's the almost of the a troll yep. job for a lot of these people. And 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 to, to, as a sports analogy that our colleague Jacob Felbin made on Twitter on Wednesday, which I think is right on. Do you remember a number of years ago when NHL fans, you know, kind of got together and voted in John Scott to the all-star game? Yes. And it became so much less about, you know, is John Scott's on ice play good enough to be an all-star and more because... The NFL had taken all these steps to try to prevent him from playing, and fans felt aggrieved. It became like the funny, th- th- cool th- thing th- to th- do th- to the stick it to the, the NHL. Yeah, thumb exactly, the nose at the exactly. system. Exactly, and, and that kind of feels like exactly what's happening here, where it's taken on a mind of its own that is separate from the reason why people traditionally buy stocks or separate from you know the reason why people traditionally vote people into the All-Star game.
1: Point of order, Eben, I do not own any game stock, so I want to put that out there right there.
0: Oh, well, there's going to be a hefty disclaimer at the end of this episode that we're yeah, going to need maybe. to record. <laughs> we neither own stock nor our stock advisors, et cetera.
1: Correct, correct, correct. All right, let's move on to the NBA. What do we got? looks like we have the framework of this institutional capital, speaking of institutional capital coming into things, uh, into the NBA. At least now we know the guardrails or the rules that these firms are going to have to play by.
0: Yeah, this is a story that you broke, you know, one that that we've been following, obviously, for a long time, back since last spring when the NBA cut a deal with Dial uh, to make it, you know, the first private equity firm that was going to be allowed to invest in multiple teams. You know, we flash forward now nine months, Scott, you know, Dial hasn't raised any money for that fund. They certainly haven't invested in any teams. And it sounds like the NBA is looking to maybe widen the pool a little bit and, and make this an available option for a lot more than just one fund.
1: Yeah, we do know, uh, we reported that Arcto Sports Partners uh, is applying to be one of those approved firms. Uh, I do know that there are others that are on the cusp if they have not already. So yeah, there's going to be a wide swath of institutional capital coming into the NBA. But the specifics are what we learn now. And what it looks like is a firm is going to be able to invest up to 20% in a single franchise. Okay, so if you want to do one, up to 20% in that single franchise. You can hold a maximum... Of five teams. So it's not as if you can go half the league, a maximum of five teams for each fund. And no franchise can have more than 30% of its equity held by funds. So you can bring in as many funds as you want, but of the equity in your tighter franchise, the 100%, 30% of it, only 30%, can be institutional capital.
0: And let's remind listeners why the NBA is doing this. In my mind, it's kind of twofold. One, as valuations soar, which we've talked about on a previous episode, the the amount of people out there who have the cash to invest in minority stakes is getting smaller and smaller. And, And this is a way of kind of widening that pool. And second of all, because of COVID, you know, owners need money now, right? And and ways you can do that is, you know, you can put capital calls on your investors or you can sell off extra shares, right? Um, So, you know, I think this is a way of maybe answering both of those two problems, being like the the, the shrinking pool of people that can buy these shares and the fact that, you know, teams are losing tens of millions of dollars of revenue because of the pandemic and they're looking for ways to raise a little bit of cash.
1: I got to tell you, Evan, when you said there are two principal reasons why and we should remind the listeners, I got to say, I I thought you would have taken one and then said, and Scott, the other. (laughs) I mean, did you risk that? Maybe I wouldn't know the answer, or you were just taking up all the knowledge?
0: To be honest, Scott, I was a little rattled by last episode when you took uh, a stat that I I was planning to give instead of verbatim at a time. So so yes, I'm now, I'm territorially grabbing up stats as fast as I can.
1: You know what they say about payback. (laughs) Speaking of pay, I'm going to let you go off on this one, because this is your... Terra firma. This is not where I wait all the time. And when we talk about college sports and the NCAA, this is where you shine. And you shine many places, Evan. Um, But the NCAA says they lost $800 million last year. I guess that happens when you don't stage your biggest tournament,
0: right? Yeah, $800 million specifically on that decision not to hold the 2020 men's basketball Tournament. You know, the the NCAA, this is a good reminder, you know, we say it a lot, but some folks I think still don't know. The NCAA doesn't really control the college football playoff at all. So the the vast majority of the NCAA's revenue all comes from the men's basketball tournament. And the biggest job. Well tell people about football.
1: It just I mean, we're here, we're here, we're now, you know, ESPN and Disney owns a lot. Tell people how it works.
0: Yeah, so the, the the college football playoff, you know, as of a number of years ago, kind of back when the when the BCS first launched, the NCAA more or less lost control of that, right? So it is a it is a bowl system that is comprised of nonprofits and and other private interests. The college football playoff, which obviously runs, you know, the biggest New Year's six games, and then the uh, and then the playoff itself. You know, that is money. You know, the ESPN has a huge, you know, seven billion dollar, twelve year deal with them. That is not money that the NCAA directly sees at all. The NCAA controls the FCS college football championship, the smaller division college football championships, and all the other championships. But football itself, the biggest one, the money juggernaut, is not one that the NCAA controls. So, when so if the NCAA if the NCAA, NCAA sheet,
1: was a conference, I'm going to make an analogy here. If the NCAA was a conference, yeah. it would be the Big East, <laughs> <laughs> heavy on <laughs> the basketball, one that doesn't do the football. not so much on yeah, the football, that's fair. right? I
0: like that. I like that. But yes, going back to what we learned this week, the NCA filed its, you know, fiscal year 2020 uh, audited statements. And we found out exactly how big a deal it was to lose that big bell cow. And as you said, they lost $800 million by canceling it. They had a $270 million loss of, of, of revenue insurance policy. So that helped offset some of the losses. They also took out a $125 million loan from PMC, which is one that they need to, PNC Bank, that they need to pay back uh, in the next couple months. Um, But on the whole, you know, a, a pretty big hit for the NCAA. And we should mention, you know, when we say the NCAA lost this money, that is largely money that the schools lost. The NCAA, yeah, because the NCAA a distributes a large, large, chunk of its revenue. So, you know, this is money that, that schools did not get for, you know, distributions related to that tournament. And that will affect, you know, everyone, both large and small, but especially the small schools.
1: A question that I know you will not have the answer to, but rather one, we can go to our usual witty banter. If you are going to have the insurance, and I understand risk mitigation is there a reason why you do it for maybe a fifth of the value of what you would have lost? That doesn't seem to add up for me.
0: Yeah, it's it's a really good question, and you know I could think of a few potential answers. You're right; I don't have the actual answer. I could see a world where the NCAA decided we're going to pay this much in premium, and we're going to buy as much coverage as that's as someone is willing to give us for this much in premium. I could see them going to the market looking for the full 800 million, and you know underwriters and and cover holders saying. Eh, that seems like a lot. We're willing to give you 270, but we're not necessarily willing to give you the full thing. So I don't know exactly uh exactly why, but you're right. You know, the they had insurance to cover what happens if this if this event gets canceled. And the insurance they also, you know, another possibility, they could have had multiple insurance uh different uh coverage, and some of those insurance coverage might have said, hmm, look, you know, pandemic isn't covered because X and Y, coronavirus is not a new disease. It's actually a variant of an old disease. There's ways that, you know, we've seen insurance companies get out of paying for, for COVID-related losses uh, throughout the pandemic. So there's a chance that the NCA had a lot of them and, and the 270 was just, you know, the ones that the companies were willing to pay out. Uh, but you're right, it doesn't fully cover, you know, the the massive losses that the that the NCA saw. And it shows, you know, we're we're a few months, two months away from the start of the 2021 tournament, Scott, the NCAA has said they're going to hold it all in Indiana. They're bending over backwards, seven negative tests you need to enter the bubble. They're bending over backwards. And this shows why, because the financial ramifications for the NCAA and its members for not getting this event off as a TV property is pretty huge.
1: Now, can I put you on the spot again? I'll ask permission this time. Yes. Okay. Uh, We also learned a little bit about the NCAA as an investor. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not the size of the numbers we were talking. It's uh, it's not exactly GameStop uh, valuation growth, or, but uh, they could have solved the whole that, thing,
0: Scott, by just yeah, yeah. buying GameStop in, uh, in in April.
1: Yeah, that, that really that would have solved all their problems. Everybody in GameStop, but tell me then what the numbers said on the disclosure.
0: Yeah, so you know, one thing, another thing that really helped the NCAA is the fact that the markets did did really well, and not only that the markets did well, but the NCAA did especially well. Uh, from an investing standpoint, uh, so if you look at the the investment assets that the NCA has, they had a, a little over 400 million uh, in in investment assets after fiscal 2019. After fiscal 2020, it was over 500 million. Right, so the NCA's investment assets went up by 100 million dollars. You know, during the pandemic, um, and we could we could do a whole other podcast on why the market has soared at a time when you know a lot of people are are, are struggling both health wise and financially. But yes, one of the things that also helped cushion this blow at least a little bit was the fact that the markets did very well and the NCAA's investments, you know, as a result went up, you know, 25 plus percent.
1: Okay. Those listeners that have followed us over from the previous locale know we don't like to leave anything undone, you know, and no, no loose strings. So let's tie it up. We did speculate in our last podcast about the audience for Tom Brady against Aaron Rodgers and Fox, by the way, is not disappointed with the numbers 40 Six million, and we call it that's digital across all platforms. I get it. Still, forty-six million. I you, think, you were
0: right on that, Scott.
1: Yeah, I think it bodes well for the Super Bowl. But you've spoken to some folks who are not exactly uh, buyers on the Super Bowl. They think that for some reason the numbers will be down this year.
0: Yeah, I spoke to Joe Bursuelas, who's a sports economist, who you know gave me a little bit of a tempered expectation. You know, his argument was that, you know, that we've seen and and he's right in some ways across other sports, you know, that there's evidence out there that at at this during this pandemic, people may be focused on other things. And as a result, live sports, even big ones kind of get pushed to the back burner. The reverse argument, uh, I'll let you give because I, I think you hold it. And I think it also makes total sense about, you know, people being stuck inside.
1: Yeah, and well, this is my evidence. We have 46 for this. This is just isn't hardcore football fans that tuned in. This has to be some sort of casual sports fans to get an NFC title game at 46 million. I, I can easily see more than double this audience, which is what I'm expecting, 100-plus million to, to watch this game. People are stuck at home. This is a distraction. Nobody wants to miss out on the water cooler conversation, even if the water cooler these days is a Zoom call. Uh, people are still going to be talking about it. Uh, chill, be, uh, Bills and Chiefs did 42 million. That's mm-hmm. still pretty good. Not Doesn't bad a, in its own right. I know, you, yeah. I know you have Mahomes and an upstart team, but that ain't Brady and Rodgers. So, Did- um yeah, you're looking now Mahomes, the MVP, maybe most popular young player in the league against Tom Brady, the most popular old player in the league. Um, the, to me, I don't know, hundred what 105 to 10
0: million. I, am I going too high? No, I think that's I think that could be right in the range. Speaking of that Buffalo Kansas City game, did you see the the Kansas City numbers, by the way, the specific KC numbers?
1: Yeah, every single person in Kansas City just about was watching the game. It, pretty pretty 80 much eighty-five yeah, percent 80,
0: yeah. 85% of the TVs in use were watching uh the football game in Kansas City. The the local rating was a was a sixty-one point nine, apparently. I saw Michael Mulvihill, Fox Sports executive, speculating that the the Super Bowl record for a local rating 63 which was the Chicago Bears in 1986 I think that that may finally fall uh this year with Kansas City. So yeah, pretty wild that that many people in Kansas City are tuning into these playoff
1: games. Yeah, well, you know, Mulvey, as he is known probably missed one thing though. Like they're stat they're stats driven. They dive into the numbers and they don't come up for air. There's one thing about Kansas City he doesn't realize that there's so many people there eating their Gates barbecue or whatever barbecue of choice they have that there's so much sauce on their fingers that they can't go for the remote, the remote and change the channel. So it's just stuck on the game. They started on the game, then the sauce. So they can't change the channel.
0: This podcast got brought to you by Gates (laughs) barbecue. We got We got to reach out now and get the sponsorship.
1: (laughs) We have to get them. I know there's more than one. I'm sorry. I just went with Gates for the hell of it. All right, Novi Williams, you are listening to the Sportacast. It is. The flagship podcast, and what will be the Sportico Podcast Network? You want to tell me where the folks where you can find uh, find you on Twitter? Uh, they can find me at Novi underscore Williams. You can find me at Soshnik, and uh, we really have to make sure that we promote the Sporticast Twitter feed. That's uh, at Sporticast because social media manager Cora Veltman was on us or on me r- religiously. Just make sure you plug the podcast. So at Sporticast, at Novi underscore Williams, and at Soshnik. We'll be back. You can get the show wherever you download your podcasts.
0: Plus.